Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. As you hear me say these words, we will only be seven weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft. And to mark this point in this rather unusual draft process, we continue our Dash to the Draft series tonight with a look at this year's defensive line and edge class, where we discuss this position group in the 2020 Draft, Jacob Infante of the DraftWire and Windy City Gridiron was on this program and gave us some very insightful analysis. And it is a pleasure to welcome Jacob back to do the same in 2021. How are you doing, Jacob? Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm doing well, you know, getting into that crunch time here. The draft is just around the corner. So, yeah, I'm just trying to fit in as many, you know, last-second tape-watching sessions as possible before I start you know, really hunkering down and getting into some stuff. Yes, and if you thought that tape was uh, more important than ever last year, you ain't seen nothing yet. Based on this year's draft with no combine and very little opportunities to visit campus due to COVID-19, tape is going to be even more important than it was last year. Heck, it might be 100% of the evaluations this year more than ever. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I feel like this year, especially – considering the general uh, unreliability of pro day numbers and just workouts that go viral say, Oh, this guy ran like a four, two in all reality, there's a very high chance that a school or an agent can uh, crank up the numbers a little bit to make their player look better than they actually are. So it's really tough to determine uh, who's telling the truth and who isn't this time of year. So absolutely. I mean, tape, uh, especially this year is, going to be extremely important and there are other surrounding factors but I think generally uh, tape is more often than not the most reliable source for draft scouting so it's it's going to be interesting for sure without nearly as much data some of the more analytically driven teams around the league are going to have to focus a bit more on film than they normally would Uh, it's going to be really interesting and kind of unpredictable for sure Yes, and speaking of really interesting, what is really interesting about this edge class is that there are no surefire top 10 picks. There are no Von Millers, there are no Miles Garretts, there are no Khalil Max, there are no Nick Bosa's, uh, no Chase Young's, yet it is ripe with sky-high potential. And uh, if you just look at the draft uh, two years ago in 2019, two current buddy edge stars, Brian Burns of the Panthers and Montez Sweat, they were selected outside the top 10 in the uh, 2019 draft with the Birds going 16 overall and Monta Sweat at 26 overall. Do you anticipate a similar eventual outcome from this year's edge class? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think any of the edge rushers this year are going to go in the top 10 uh, just because of, I mean, it's a huge need, but we're seeing around the league, uh, there's a little bit more of the shift towards the secondary and also the fact that, yeah, there aren't necessarily any standout edge rushers in this class. I mean, there is no Chase Young. There is no Miles Garrett. There's no Nick Bosa. There's none of that this year. There are talented players who could eventually be very good high-end pass rushers, but it's going to take quite a bit of work for them to get there. You know, you're looking at guys like Gregory Rougeau, Quiddy Paye, Aziz Ojolari. Like, some of them, you know, they have physical tools to work with, but they're not as polished as some of the guys that we've seen go early in recent years. So, It's going to be interesting. I think a lot of it's going to come down to the landing spot and the right scheme, the right uh, surrounding situation. But 
it's going to be interesting for sure. This is definitely the most unpredictable edge class that I've, I remember scouting in several years, maybe the most unpredictable that I've seen since I've started scouting. So yeah, there's definitely talent in this class, but for sure, I think that they're, it's probably going to come in the teens and twenties. That's probably the earliest that some of those guys are going to go off the board. Yeah, that's what uh, most of the mock drafts are saying right now, and that could be one department in which those mocks turn out to be right. And you mentioned Gregory Rousseau, and you told me before we did this program that he is currently the top edge on your board. Uh, what makes him such an interesting evaluation is that he only has a four-month sample of, of tape since he got hurt after a few snaps in his freshman year of 2018, and he opted out due to COVID-19 this past year. But that four-month sample I alluded to in 2019 is absolutely staggering as he posted 15 and a half sacks and he earned ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year honors. What makes him the top edge on your board right now? Yeah, so I feel like with him, uh, it comes down to upside. I look at, you know, Quiddy Pie, I look at Aziz Ojolari, I look at uh, Patrick Jones, Joe Treon, guys like that, and I see potential, but I think that Gregory Rougeau combining uh, the tape that he had in 2019 with just his physical upside, I feel is particularly impressive because in terms of pure frame, the length in his arms and the raw power that he has in his frame, I feel like he's among the elite in this class in terms of pure stature. I mean, those long arms are going to make it very tough for opposing offensive tackles to lock them out at the point of attack. And the flashes that he's shown, I'm not going to say that he's a polished edge rusher by any means, because, you know, the pad level is a bit of a concern and he can be a bit more diverse in his pass rushing moves with his hands. But I look at the size, I look at his burst off the ball. I look at his closing speed when he gets out of, uh, when he gets out of his stance, uh, particularly in a three-point stance. I think he's going to be best as a 4-3 base end or a 5-tech. I feel like that's probably going to be his best uh, spot at the next level. But And then I see the high motor that he has, too. And I feel like all those things combined, they can make him the, the most productive edge rusher in this class. And yeah, he only has one year of tape to go off of, which is why I'm hesitant to say he's a legitimate uh like top 10 pick because under normal circumstances if he had another year he'd be a top 10 pick more than likely but that's not the the reality of the situation is he only has one year to go off of so there's a lot of unpredictability i don't have a pure round one grade on any edge rusher in this class but rajo's the closest one i have i have very early round two on him there are other guys i have round two grades on as well but yeah, I think just the pure upside that Rougeau has, uh, the production that he showed at Miami, uh, and just generally some of the other flaws of guys in this class, I think puts him at number one. Very good points indeed, Jacob. But if you look at the history of the entire draft, regardless of position, small sample sizes are what usually drop players down draft boards at uh, the classic example of that is Tom Brady. As Daniel Jeremiah, I believe, said in a podcast I listened to a couple years back, uh, he said that one of the main reasons why Tom Brady fell as far as he did uh, in that uh, 
2000 draft is because the sample size of him playing at University of Michigan was, was just so small that people like ignored it and they didn't study it in depth. And that was a great reason why Brady was uh, underestimated uh, at that time. But uh, how much of a fall down the board, if any, do you see Gregory Rousseau experiencing given that relatively minute sample of game tape? I mean, yeah, I don't think that he's going to be selected in the top half of the first round. I do think he'll go round one, but I'm expecting late teens, early 20s for him. Uh, and I, I don't think he's going to be the first edge rusher off the board. Uh, but he, even though he is my edge rusher number one, I recognize that uh, there's another guy that I'm you know, sure we'll get to in a bit that is predominantly being seen as the edge rusher one in this class. But I think, Rougeau, you look at him, I think he's probably going to go in the early 20s. Uh, simply looking at some of the teams that are, you know, picking in that range, I feel like the 20s is a hot spot for uh, teams that need front seven talent. You're looking at, um, we'll get into more, but I'm sure looking at like Indianapolis, uh, Tennessee, the Jets, uh, potentially the Steelers maybe even if uh, Bud Dupree doesn't come back. There are a lot of different directions Uh that teams could go there and a lot of different options for Rougeau uh, in that range. So I think that's going to be the sweet spot. I think he'll go off the board in the 20s. Yes, and uh, you mentioned uh, two other edge prospects that you have graded just slightly behind Rousseau, uh, Quiddy Pay of Michigan and Aziz Ojolari of Georgia. Both of them are super freakish athletic specimens, yet some top analysts believe that Pay's film was very underwhelming and that Ojolari, although that his film was better than Pace, he needs to add a lot of moves to his pass rush repertoire. And say if you were a GM and your team ran a defensive scheme that was equally accommodating to the skill sets of both players, which one would you select and why? Now, I know that what NFL teams would do is a bit different from what I would do. I think they'd look at Quiddipi, they'd say, okay, here's this big guy with, you know, who bursts well off the snap and He's tested really well, and he's got a lot of potential. But honestly, I'd go Ojolari. I think that Ojolari is very close to edge rusher one for me right now. And I, I, there are people that I respect who have Ojolari as their edge rusher one, and I certainly don't – Yeah, I wouldn't hate on them for that at all because I look at him, I think on tape he's more athletic than Quidipaye is. I feel like Ojolari is – Quick, his initial first step quickness off the snap is better. And while Quiddy Pie has had like really good 40 yard dashes, at least from rumors that have been speculated, I think that Ojolari's first step is better. I think he's super flexible. I, that's something that I'm really impressed with his ability to turn the corner, uh, to take precise angles as a pass rusher, to be able to rip and dip and turn the corner and stay low. I think that that's particularly impressive. I mean, we see a little bit of that from Pae, but I think that his ability to get low and uh, turn that corner, I feel like, is something that can be improved in this game. So while I do think that Quiddy Pae might have a higher ceiling simply because he's bigger, I think that Ojolari is a bit more athletic on tape, which is more important than testing. And I think he's also a bit more polished in terms of what he offers with his hands. I feel like both guys still have a little bit of way to go there, but I think Ojolari has a bit more of an extensive arsenal in his game than uh, Paya does. 
Thank you for that analysis there. And another intriguing edge prospect uh, in, in this class uh, that uh, Dane Brugler really likes. And uh, Brugler, I believe, has uh, Ojolari as his top edge and this guy as his uh, edge number three. And that's Jason Owe of Penn State. And Owe, he only posted five sacks in his two seasons at Happy Valley, yet he possesses as much mouthwatering traits as the prospects we have mentioned so far. Would you be surprised if he ended up as the best edge in this draft class long term? Honestly, I wouldn't be. I look at Jason Owe and I see a guy with freakish physical tools. Like I know that's a bit of a hyperbole at this point. They say, oh, look at this freak athlete. But Jason Owe at least given the testing numbers that we've seen is maybe unlike any athlete we've seen at the edge rusher position. We saw Montez sweat a couple of years ago. We mentioned him at the top of the show. He ran like what? Like a sub four, five Jason always ran a sub four, four. And they're about the same size. I don't have it in front of me. I think always about like six, five, Two fifty-five, two sixty, something crazy like that, and he's running like a four-three-eight, something like that. That's unheard of, and yeah, he has had struggles with getting to the quarterback, and I feel like that's something that could push him a little bit down boards. But I wouldn't be shocked to see him go in the first round. I have him as a, with a second-round grade right now, uh, and I feel like the lack of production that he's had and just the general you know, rawness in his technique with his pad level, his strength at the point of attack, uh, and just his arsenal as a pass rusher, I feel it could be improved, but it's not very often you get a guy who's that big and that fast at the edge rusher position. And I feel like teams are really going to like the opportunity to try and mold him. If they think he's a teachable prospect, then go with the guy who's got the elite physical tools, because if you can teach him, even a couple go-to moves and his skill set, he's going to be a double-digit fat guy. And is it a risk? Absolutely. But I really think that he's going to go round one. That's a little bit high in terms of my overall grade for him. But if a team takes him round one, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked at all. And I w- definitely wouldn't be surprised if he's long-term, maybe not right away, but long-term the best edge rusher to come out of this class. Oh, definitely, especially in a class like this, uh, talents like Owe are more than worth taking in the first round, given all the unknowns uh, this year. And moving on to the defensive line class for a moment, uh, this defensive line class, specifically at defensive tackle, is not a good one this year. Heck, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, I think, said on a call today that uh, it might be the worst uh, group of uh, defensive tackles coming into the draft he's ever seen. And the top defensive tackle prospect on most analyst boards is Christian Barmore from Alabama. And given the poorest depth of this group, is Christian Barmore worth a top 20, if not a top 15 pick in your view? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't take him in the top 15. If I'm really needy for a defensive line, I'd consider taking Barmore in the top 20. I personally think the strength of this D-line class comes on day two. We're looking late second, early third round. I think there are a handful of guys who can be solid starters in the league. And you're right. It's a weak class in terms of being top heavy. I don't really think there are going to be too many elite high-end caliber guys, but in terms of solid starters, I feel like there are some solid guys in this class. You know, I'm sure we'll be able to look into a couple guys, but like Aline McNeil out of NC State is a guy that I'd honestly rather take him or like Jay Tefeli or uh, Tommy Togiai out of Ohio State. 
I feel like I'd rather take one of those guys in that mid to late day th- day two range than take Christian Barmore in round one because Barmore is a talented player and he's got a high ceiling. So I'm expecting him to be the first interior defender off the board because he's fast and he's big. And that's, that's a good combination. And the technical stuff, I'm sure teams will think they can work out, but n- not as good of a space eater as you'd hope. I, in terms of his overall awareness and gap discipline once he latches in with an offensive lineman at the point of attack, I feel like there's still a little bit of work to be done there. Uh, and then being able to determine when to disengage uh, to, and free up an arm to make plays and run support, I feel like Barmore's got a bit of work to go there. Does he have value as a pass rusher? Absolutely. I think it was, what, eight sacks or something? that he had this year, unless I'm mistaken, and for someone else. I think he had a good year in terms of sack production. So there's potential there with Barmore, without a doubt. And I think he'll go in the first round, but all told, I I don't know if I'd take him in round one because you're looking for a guy who can more often than not step in right away and make some big plays for a team. I think Barmore, he'll be solid in this rookie year, but I think that, it, it might take him a little bit of time before he reaches his true potential. And depending on how you're looking in that, but 20 range, uh, you might be looking for a team that's like more looking to compete right away. So taking a project like Barmore, I don't necessarily know if that's the right move. Uh, yes. But uh, do you think he's a better prospect than Raekwon Davis was coming out of Alabama last year? Uh, you know, that is a tough question because, I feel like both of them, you know, kind of specialize in different stuff and they're good in different ways. If I had to guess, I think I'd have Christian Barmore slightly ahead of Raekwon Davis. Uh, just because I feel like he's a bit more built, he's a bit more stout. And while I think Raekwon Davis used his hands a bit better, I think Barmore is a bit more low to the ground. It has a more powerful frame where if you teach him some of the basics, then he can be a force. And I feel like with Raekwon Davis, he's a bit, you know, lankier, uh, maybe not as good in terms of pad level, uh, staying low and generating power in his lower half. It's close though. It's definitely close. And I feel like, cause Raekwon Davis went in the second round to the Dolphins. I don't remember exactly when in the second round that was. And I, I think you know, Barmore should go higher than that, but I, I think it's close which says a lot about this defensive line class where you're getting like a, I think it was a mid-late second-round pick in Raekwon Davis. Yes. And I'm looking at Christian Barmore, a guy who's supposed to be round one, and saying I only think he's better than Raekwon Davis. Yep, uh, that says everything. And the next two defensive tackles behind Barmore on most analyst boards are Washington's Levi Onzerike and Iowa's Davian Nixon. What do you like and dislike about their games, and are any of them worth a late first-round pick? Yeah, so I actually really like Davion Nixon. I feel like I had him as my D-lineman one for a long time, and I moved him down to D-line two after further evaluations, but I think it's neck and neck, honestly. I think when I look at him, uh, he's explosive off the ball and uses his hands really well. Uh, Maybe a little bit raw in terms of his run stuffing abilities, but he's athletic in space. 
Uh, he can get low to the ground, and I think he's got a really high ceiling at the next level. Maybe not an elite caliber player, but he's got a really high ceiling, I think. He's been a guy I was – gosh, we're talking like late October, early November. I actually had a guy who uh, covers Iowa for 24-7 sports who I went to high school with, who's a couple of years older than me. He reached out to me and said, hey uh, – have, do you know anything about this guy, Davion Nixon? And I'm like, oh, uh, I heard a little bit about him. I've never gone on and watched him. Why? And he's like, well, you, I, I recommend you, you should check him out. I think you'll like what you see. I watched him. I was amazed that nobody's been talking about him yet. And people are talking about him now, but at this point, I think he's vastly underrated. I think that he's got a very high ceiling at the next level, and I'm really – impressed with just the upside he brings now as for uh levi Muzurike, i feel like he might not use his hands as well but i think he's more powerful and i think he's more aware uh in run support i feel like he does a better job of free knowing when to free up his hands uh to make plays if a running back shoots up his gap and he's uh a bit more powerful in his upper half which i think because especially watching him down in mobile for the senior bowl he was one of the guys that really impressed me. And I didn't get to see a lot of him because he uh, decided to stop. I think it was after his either the first or second day. I don't remember which, but in that limited space that he had, he looked really good. And for him to do that, especially, you know, I don't think if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think he played in 2020. So I was particularly impressed with how he played and how he performed a little bit undersized, I think both of those guys can be studs. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, Davion Nixon and Levi Muzurike were the top two uh, defensive linemen to come out of this class. And I, I take Nixon in very late round one. On Muzurike, I'd probably take early round two. But it wouldn't shock me if Levi went round one. I think that depending on how teams uh, stack up this board, there's a pretty big need for D linemen and edge rushers around those playoff caliber teams. So it'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, at least one of them ended up going round one. Yes. And why do you think Davion Nixon has such a very high ceiling? Yeah, for me, I think it comes down to his athleticism. I feel like his burst off the ball is impressive. His quickness in his hands. Uh, he's diverse in his pass rushing technique in terms of, you know, two-handed swipes, uh, rip moves, arm overs, the whole, the whole deal. And just watching him in pursuit in space, I feel like he's one of those rare interior defensive linemen who can actually chase down a running back in space. He's not just a traditional gap eater, but once he gets out in the open field, he can make some plays. And you don't see a lot of those guys. Sure, he can get a little bit bigger. Neither him nor Wuzurike uh, are necessarily huge. But I feel like with a little bit more power in his game, he can be a difference maker. And I don't know if he'll go round one. I'd be comfortable taking him late on round one, honestly. But I feel like he's still a little bit of work in progress. But I think the athleticism that he brings, the finesse that he brings is pretty rare. And uh, you mentioned uh, some uh, defensive tackles that could go mid to late day two. And uh, let's uh, apply that to the entire defensive line edge class. Uh, elaborate on some of your uh, late day two, early day three sleepers that could surprise people at the next level. Yeah, so 
I'll start with the edge rushers because I feel like there are a handful of sleeper edge rushers that I really like. Uh, if I'm looking late day two, I I'm gonna I want to shout out Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. He's a guy that I was kind of late on jumping on the bandwagon to him from. Uh, and but the first game I watched was okay. I watched a bit more of him. I liked him more and more when I watched him. Uh, I was particularly impressed with his speed off the ball, and he's not the biggest guy out there. Uh, I think he's around 6'2", if I'm not mistaken, but I liked his burst off the ball. I did like his ability to convert speed to power, Uh, just how strong he was and how hard he plays was particularly impressive to me. So I think he'll end up going on day two. I don't know how late he'll go on day two, but I feel like he can make a real impact. Uh, and then looking on day three for edge rushers, I'm looking at guys like uh, Cameron Sample out of uh, Temple. I mean, no, not Temple, Tulane. Sorry, I was looking at uh, I was looking at a different player actually, Quincy Roche. I thought about him because he played at Temple before transferring to Miami. But anyway, Cameron Sample out of Tulane. I feel like he's an interior edge rusher hybrid who can play with his hand in the dirt and potentially. Uh, slide inside on passing downs. Uh, he's a guy I was really impressed with at the senior bowl and his quickness and his hands and his first step was impressive to me. Uh, both Janarius Robinson and Joshua Kando out of Florida State, I feel like those are pretty underrated names. Both of them are long-limbed guys who are pretty big and pretty fast off the snap. Both of them are pretty raw, but if you put them in the right system, I feel like they could thrive. And then as far as defensive linemen go, I'm going to have to go Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech. I feel like he's probably going to go day three, but he's very athletic off the snap. And it's basically, it's don't trust 40-yard dash seasons right now with all the pro days and the agents and whatnot uh, kind of skewing results. I, you can't really trust a whole lot, but Milton Williams got it somewhere in the four six sixes around that 290-pound range, and that's apparent on tape. Just in how quick he is off the ball, his speed in the open field. He's, he could stand to get a little more powerful, but I think that he's got a lot of potential. I don't know if you're sensing a, uh, a pattern here, David, but I really like athletic interior defenders because I feel like it's tougher to teach that like elite quickness than it is. You can, t- you can help a guy bulk up. You can get them in the right uh, strength and conditioning program, but making them faster off the snap is a bit tougher, at least in my opinion. Granted, I never played interior defensive line uh, when I played football, so I'm not the, the best guy to speak on that, but I think that speed, it's definitely intriguing, at least to me. Uh, one more guy. I'll, I'll touch on one more guy because I know I'm kind of rambling on these defensive linemen here. Another guy I like is uh, Osa Odigizua out of UCLA. He's another one of those hybrid edge rushers, interior defenders, who I actually think might be better playing along the inside. Oh, looking at a five-tech in a 3-4 or just a base end in a 4-3 defense. He's quick. He's another guy who's quick off the snap, does a good job of disengaging at the point of attack. Obviously a little bit undersized. He's about 6'2", 280, so he doesn't have elite length. But he combines 
speed with craftiness at the point of attack and his ability to get low in his pads. So I feel like he's a guy that has potential. I feel like you can start him off as a rotational guy on passing downs and then eventually maybe project him as a full-time starter at the next level. So, yeah, those are just a handful of guys. I could go on and on because there are a lot of those early day three defensive linemen that I really like, but those are just a couple. And uh, you mentioned Osa Adigizua. His older brother, Oa, was drafted by the New York Giants in the third round of the 2015 NFL draft, I believe, and Oa is no longer in the NFL. Do you think uh, Osa has a better chance of establishing a longer NFL career than his brother? I feel like he can. Uh, And truth be told, I didn't necessarily follow uh, Owa Odegizola's career as much once he got into the NFL. So I I can't speak entirely about what went wrong there. But I feel like if they take him in that round four, round five range, they might be a little more patient with him, which it sounds a little bit weird because you'd figure that with early round draft picks, you'd say, oh, well, we drafted him high for a reason. Uh, maybe something's just not working out. Maybe we need to be a little bit more patient. But it seems like teams are more willing to part with busts from the first or second round than they are with guys who are a little bit slow to develop around that round four, round five range. And I don't know the data on that. I don't know if that's scientifically or mathematically true or whatever. But I feel like, just from my perspective, I feel like that's possible. So I look at uh, Oso Digizua and – I see a guy probably not expected to be a starter right away, but there's there's potential with him. I feel like, like I said, you start him off as a rotational guy on passing down, give him a few years to bulk up, to add some power to his frame, or to uh, maybe even slim down, depending on what they want to do with him, if they want him to play edge full time. But I feel like there's potential with him there, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a longer career than his brother did. He is Jacob Infante, ladies and gentlemen. You can catch his work at Windy City Gridiron and The Draft Wire. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Infante. Is that correct? Is that your Twitter handle, just your name? Uh, unfortunately, no. It's Jacob Infante 24. Ah, uh, uh, yes. My mistake, it's Jacob Infante24. Man, it's the second year row I forgot your Twitter handle. Shame on me. Follow him on Twitter, Jacob Infante24, folks. And uh, before we let you go, Jacob, we're going to play our favorite game on these uh, positional uh, preview series in this draft. Uh, The best team fits for some of these prospects. And uh, I have a list of prospects, and I'm going to just mention the name, and you give me where you think they'll fit best, starting with Gregory Rousseau. Yeah, so when I look at Gregory Rousseau, I feel like you want to find a team that can utilize him in that 4-3 range. At, at least from my opinion, I feel like he's much better fit when he gets his hand in the dirt. Uh, I'm looking maybe the Vikings. I don't know if they'll take him that early. I feel like they might go offensive line if they have the opportunity, but... I really like Gregory Rougeau to the Vikings just because him and Daniil Hunter, I feel like they could play off each other well. They're also both, you know, pretty big, athletic, explosive guys. So you get him there. Uh, The Vikings, obviously, the Yannick Nagakwe situation didn't work out. And if I'm not mistaken, Afadi Adenabo is a free agent this offseason. So if they can get a high-quality edge rusher 
uh, like Gregory Rousseau in the first round, I feel like that would be a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm sure I'll touch on some other teams that could go for edge rushers that could consider him as well. But that's just one off the top of my head that stands out. Uh, you mentioned 4-3 schemes. Another team that immediately popped in my mind was the Indianapolis Colts. Him and DeForest Buckner together on the defensive line. Uh, DeForest Buckner freeing up some space for him. I'm sure he would like that too. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the Colts could very well be in the market for an edge rusher. I really don't know exactly what they're going to do uh, this offseason, at least in the draft. Because they've got a lot of cap space. They don't have a ton of needs, but they do have a couple areas where they can improve. So, yeah, I think the Colts would be a good fit for Rougeau. Uh Other teams off the top of my head, I feel like the Titans might be interesting for them uh, simply because they're lacking uh, depth and just overall talent at the edge rusher position. So they can get a guy like Rougeau to uh, kind of complement the more finesse game of Harold Landry. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it would be a little bit more different of a scheme that the Titans have than the Vikings have. But I feel like the Titans could be a potential spot for him as well. Uh, what is the best team fit for Quiddy Pay? Yeah, honestly, I, I there aren't necessarily any that come to mind off the top of my head. One that there might be, I could see the Vikings targeting him as well. I don't know necessarily if he's going to go that high or go that low rather uh, because I feel like the NFL is going to be higher on him than I am. I could see the Giants going after him. And I know that they run a base 3-4, but I feel like they got some talent there, but they can move Quiddy Pie around. He can be a versatile guy. Uh, if they don't want to play Dalvin Tomlinson on passing downs all the time, uh, they could have Quiddy Pie and Leonard Williams slide in on the interior and then take, uh, and then just go with Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence for those, uh, for those obvious running downs. So I feel like the Giants are going to target an edge rusher at 11. I feel like, at least in my opinion, it's a little too high to target one of those guys, but I feel like he could be a player of interest for the Giants this year. Uh, you mentioned Dalvin Tomlinson. I don't think it's likely he's a New York Giant at this time next week because he's going to be a free agent. And uh, But uh, that would make even more sense for them to add another body to that front like pay to, to help uh, with the multiplicity of that front. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not 100% sure. That's actually a good point you bring up because the Giants did just uh, offer the franchise tag to Leonard Williams uh, and their spending that much money on him. So they very well might have to let Dalvin Tomlinson walk. So it's a possibility. I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting regardless of whether or not they keep him. I still think they're going to need some pass rushing help. So that really wouldn't surprise me if uh, he went there. Uh, the best team fit for Aziz Ojolari, who um, I believe Lance Zierlein and Dane Brugler have as their top edge at the moment. Yeah, so... I'm looking at Aziz Ojolari. I feel like one spot in particular that stands out is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I mentioned them for Rougeau a little bit, but I think that Ojolari would be a better fit there uh, simply because he'd be given the opportunity to rush from a stand-up perspective. Uh, and he and Harold Landry are both pretty explosive guys off the snap, and that would be pretty tough to, for offensive tackles to stop. And then you've got the power 
of Jeffrey Simmons, and I believe Daquan Jones is still under contract there, if I'm not mistaken. So they've got some power along the interior. And if you get the opportunity to have some fast guys who can take advantage of a collapsing interior pocket, then I think that could cause some havoc. And I feel like the Titans have some pieces. I'm not really sold with what they have in place that they're going to be a Super Bowl, like a legitimate Super Bowl team, but they'll be in the hunt for quite a while. So building up that pass rush, I feel like would be very helpful. Yes, uh, the Titans, it may be edge or bust for them in the first round, given the strength elsewhere on that roster. And uh, Jason Owe, who we talked about as potentially being the best edge in this class long term, what would be the best possible team fit for him to make that happen? Yeah, I look at one team in particular, and I'm, I, I, I don't know necessarily if there's a better fit, but this one pops into my mind, uh, and that's the Miami Dolphins. Because I look at the Dolphins right now, and they have a very good secondary in place, like a really, really good secondary. But that front seven leaves a bit to be desired. And now especially uh, they're expected to move on from Kyle Van Noy this offseason. They could use some help in that front seven. And Jason Ollie would have the opportunity to rush from a stand-up, you know, stance. And his burst off the snap in that situation where he's been giving a little bit more space off the ball, I feel like would be particularly dangerous. And the Dolphins have a lot of picks they can work with. And that roster has some needs, but they're so well coached that it didn't necessarily look like it. If they can get a raw physical talent like Jason Alwe uh, and put him under Brian Flores' wing, I think that that would be a perfect landing spot for him. And if all goes well, they could get him in round two because they have two uh, round two picks that are still in the top 50. So if Jason Alwe is still on the board there, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they went after him. Yeah, Dolphins would make a lot of sense, especially with them. I think they already released Kyle Van Noy, um, for what it's worth. I, the news was broken by Mike Garofolo of NFL Network uh, several days ago. And uh, Gregory Rousseau had a playmate at the University of Miami named Jalen Phillips, and he's expected to be drafted relatively high, too. What is the best team fit for Jalen Phillips? Yeah, so one team in particular that stands out to me uh, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You look at them, they're picking 32nd, and they have a little bit of a questionable long-term future at the edge rusher position because they have Shaq Barrett, who's a free agent. They're in talks with him, but they don't necessarily have anything uh, in place yet. So he's on track to hit the open market. they got to figure out what they got to do with Chris Godwin as well. And then Jason Pierre-Paul is in the last year of his contract, and he's getting a little bit old. Uh, he's almost 33. So you get a guy like Jalen Phillips in there who's physically gifted. It doesn't necessarily matter if he's a bit unproven because with the sheer talent that they have on that roster, they can mask his deficiencies a little bit. Just how explosive he is for his size, how fluid he is, and his diverse arsenal of pass rushing moves. I feel like he can be a pretty solid player from day one who can just continue to grow in that system just because of how good Todd Bowles is as a defensive coordinator, as well as some of the talent around him would give him a lot of one-on-one opportunities to kind of grow as a player and have those easier opportunities to showcase himself. And I fully expect the Buccaneers to target a defensive lineman or an edge rusher 
uh, in the first round with that 32nd pick. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers here for Jalen Phillips. Uh, yes, and for the record, the Bucks did give Chris Godwin the franchise tag today, and they are still in negotiations with Shaq Barrett, but they hope to uh, keep him as well. But if Shaq Barrett goes elsewhere, Jalen Phillips, a potential option for the Bucks with that 32nd overall pick. Joseph Asai from Texas, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he is from the University of Texas. What is the best team fit for yeah. Joseph Osai? Yeah, I look at Joseph Osai, and truth be told, I don't see him as that first-round talent that a lot of guys see him as. I think he's pretty raw. Uh, and he's a little bit small for an edge rusher. I have a third-round grade on him, actually. But I think, ultimately, he'll go in the early second. One team I like for him is the Arizona Cardinals. And I know that they added J.J. Watt to their front seven, and they do have Chandler Jones. But I feel like they could still tend to add a little bit more talent to their edge rusher position. And considering the fact that they have a first-round pick they'll likely use on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's uh, an offensive lineman, maybe another receiver to pair up with DeAndre Hopkins, or even a tight end if Kyle Pitts falls to 16. But I feel like that that first pick is going to be used on offense. And you look in round two, if you've got a guy like Joseph Osai who could really benefit from playing alongside two proven, talented, probably Hall of Famer guys, in J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones, then that can help him develop a little bit. Same thing with Jalen Phillips. They give him some one-on-one opportunities, some easier looks uh, in pass rush situations. I feel like that would be a very good fit for him and a good fit for the Cardinals for a team who's been trying to stack up on young talent as well as veterans and trying to find that perfect capitalization of Kyler Murray's rookie contract so that they can build a contender. Uh, yeah, not to mention, it looks like Hassan Reddick, who had 15 sacks last year, is going to be hitting the open market and likely not coming back to the Cardinals. They need an edge rusher opposite Chandler Jones, and Joseph Asai could end up being that person to go with uh, Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, to get some one-on-one opportunities, as you said. And you mentioned Ronnie Perkins from uh, Oklahoma. Daniel Jeremiah uh, moved him up his board in his most recent top 50 edition, uh, for the record. Uh, what do you think is the best possible fit for Ronnie Perkins? Yeah, one team that I like uh, is the Los Angeles Rams for Ronnie Perkins because they don't have a first-round pick, but they do have a second-round pick. And if Ronnie Perkins is on the board at 57, I feel like they could be a really good landing spot for him because I would give him the opportunity to rush from a stand-up role, uh, getting to work alongside Aaron Donald. You know, same situation, a lot of one-on-one looks. But Leonard Floyd is also entering free agency this offseason and if the Rams prove unable to sign him then there's a very good chance they could look for an edge rusher in round two I feel like Ronnie Perkins could very well be the best guy on the board at the time so you look at him I feel like he kind of fits that mold of what the Rams look for at edge rushers uh just an explosive guy we've seen with Leonard Floyd Dante Fowler Jr. uh they do like some of those athletic guys I think that uh Ronnie Perkins definitely fits that bill and arguably brings a bit more power to the game than either of those two guys. So I think that would be a really good fit. Yeah, and uh, another guy that uh, Daniel Jeremiah seems to be uh, higher on than uh, some other people is Joe Tryon from Washington. What is the best possible fit for Joe Tryon? Yeah, so I look at him. I'm looking for contending teams in late round two. That's where I think he goes. 
uh, I know there are some there's some speculation he goes round one, but the general consensus, which I agree with, I think he's a day two guy. Uh, I'm looking here at one of two teams, and that's either the Bills or the Chiefs, because the Bills are picking at 61, the Chiefs at 63. Both of those guys kind of are in need of some young edge rushing help. The Bills more for down the line because they've got A.J. Epinesa, but Jerry Hughes is old. Uh, Mario Addison is old. They've got some – they their two best edge rushers right now are on the plus side of 30, and who knows how much longer they're going to be on the roster. So if they get the opportunity to go for like a long-term explosive pairing to Epinesa's more powerful approach, I feel like that would be a really good complement with each other. And as for the Chiefs, I expect that in the round in round one they'll heavily go offensive line, just because of how disastrous that performance was in the Super Bowl. And even though guys were hurt, I feel like the Chiefs are going to look at that and say, "Okay, we lost because of our offensive line one year. We're not going to let it happen again. We're going to play it super safe, just stock up on O line talent." Uh, but in round two, I feel like they could go after a guy to pair up with Frank Clark and. If I'm not mistaken, I think Alex Okafor is currently the edge rusher alongside him right now for Kansas City. And I'm not necessarily sold on him as a long-term pass rushing option for a Super Bowl contender, which obviously the, the Chiefs are a Super Bowl contender, but I don't know how sustainable Okafor is as a starter there. If you get Joe Tryon, you get an athletic, lengthy edge rusher who's got physical talent galore. Uh, still a little bit raw in terms of pad level and his power at the point of attack, but in terms of pure speed and finesse, there are a few better. So I think at 63, Joe Tryon will be a very good fit for the Chiefs. Moving on to the top three defensive tackles, Christian Barmore. What do you think is the best fit for him? Yeah, so if I'm looking at Christian Barmore, I'm looking around those that early 20s, late teens range for him. I think the Raiders could very well look into him. I feel like he fits that John Gruden, Mike Mayock type of mold where he's explosive off the snap. He's, you know, a hard player in terms of, he's a hard working player, I should say. Uh, uh, and just, he's explosive off the snap. He's got good physical tools and he's got a pretty diverse uh, pass rushing arsenal. And the Raiders do need a little bit of help along that defensive line. I think Barmore would be a very good three tech for them. Truth be told, I'm not a hundred percent sure where Maurice Hurst lines up for them along their defensive front. But I do think that Christian Barmore, if they want to move him around, I think he could play as a one technique if called upon to do so. Uh, it's just that versatility and that athleticism that you get with him. I feel like they'd give the Raiders uh, maybe not the sexiest pick out there because it's interior defensive line, but would it be surprising at all for the Raiders to go interior defensive line in round one with the roster that they have and the kind of persona that they're trying to build for themselves? That wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think that the Raiders could be a potential landing spot for Christian Barmore. Yeah, especially since the Raiders need help rushing the quarterback any way they can. They need help all over that defense, and it all starts up front. So Barmore could be an option for the Raiders at that 17th overall pick. Uh, Levi Onzariki, what is this best possible fit? Yeah, so I'm looking at that, and I am going to go with a team that I actually have Onzariki going to in the mock draft on my draft guide, uh, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. 
Because I look at Tristan Hill, who's currently slated to start a defensive tackle alongside Neville Gallimore. Uh, Neville Gallimore had a, it was just a rookie last year, but I feel like they could potentially find an upgrade at defensive tackle still. Because Tristan Hill hasn't had a single sack in his entire career yet. He's played in, what, 12 career games in two seasons, and he's had 16 tackles and no sacks. I feel like that's something they're going to want to change. And, yes, I feel like the secondary is a position of need for the Cowboys, uh, but so is that defensive front. And with Dak Prescott now locked up long-term, I think you focus on building that defense. And if you can get a guy in the secondary uh, with that first-round pick, potentially if Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertain fall to you there in the first round, get one of them, and then you find a way to get Levi Wuzurike, uh in round two, I feel like that would be a very good haul early on for the Cowboys. And last but not least, the best possible fit for your man, Davion Nixon. Yeah, actually, I think I'm going to cheat here a little bit. I'm going to double dip, and I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be a good fit for Davion Nixon. Now, obviously, uh, you're not going to see Jalen Phillips going to uh, the Buccaneers at the same time that Davion Nixon goes to the Buccaneers, but I feel like either one of those two players would be very good fits for the Buccaneers simply because of that long-term instability that the Buccaneers have. Uh, Nadama Kinsu is slated to hit free agency, and William Golston's currently a starter in their base 3-4 defense, so they could use a bit of youth along their interior offensive line. Uh, Vita Vea looked phenomenal in the games he was able to play this year, but I feel like going forward, you could use a little bit more youth along that front. So with the offensive pieces you have in place, you can afford to go defense heavy in this draft. You go with either one of Jalen Phillips or Davion Nixon. I don't think you can go wrong. I feel like either one of them would bring burst athleticism and just pure talent to that defensive front that would make them even more dangerous, even coming off of a Super Bowl win. He is Jacob Infante, ladies and gentlemen, NFL draft analyst extraordinaire. You can catch his work at the Windy City Gridiron and the Draft Wire and follow him on Twitter at Jacob Infante24. That's Jacob Infante24, ladies and gentlemen. And Jacob, thank you so much for joining us once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crutch. But more NFL draft coverage is headed your way each week as draft day draws near. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that is crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jacob. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Jacob Infante, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, wear a mask over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, and when it's your turn, please get vaccinated. Thank you very much, everybody. (laughs) 